I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a situation where I knew that at any given moment or in a short amount of time, whether it was a day, a week, a couple hours, that my life would be ripped away from me at the hands of someone else. It's one thing to know it's expected. It's one thing to go through the natural cycle of life, but to be at the hands of the mercy of someone else and realize that just looming ahead is death at the hands of someone else, I I don't know what kind of emotions that would bring within me. This past week, uh, me and a couple guys were down in in Guatemala in the northern, remote northern uh, mountains, and we were visiting this, uh, one of our missionary friends, and we were visiting this this little remote village. It was kind of at the... uh, in a valley where the river kind of run al- ran along it. And the, villages, the village was kind of just set on the river. And as we kind of drove through the city and then, or the village and then came, kind of came around the other side and started to exit, uh, our missionary friend said, look at this hill up here. You see this hill and above it you could see this hill. And it looked like there were some makeshift uh, cemetery plots. And he said that's where all the people who were massacred back in the early 80s are buried. And come to find out what had happened there back in 82 was that during the uh, Guatemalan Civil War, the government came in and surrounded this, city, this village that they were perceived as uh, rebels. They took all the men and children and, and one by one lined them up on this bridge, hit them over the head and knocked them over this bridge down into this deep gorge and just simply allowed them to die. And I couldn't, can't imagine what it would be like to be in line there knowing that in just a few moments your time was going to come at the hands of someone else. I hope that I never experienced that. I hope that you never experienced that or your family members never experienced that. It's reminiscent of World War II and the gas chambers. And I just, again, can't imagine what it would be like to be sitting there or standing there with knowing that looming on the horizon in a short amount of time is my death at the hands of someone else. But this was Thursday for Jesus. Jesus had just come from the Last Supper where he had celebrated communion with his disciples and he headed out to the garden to pray, realizing that the cross was looming. And I think he knew that in just a short amount of time, which turned out to be about 12 to 15 hours or so, he was going to be hanging on that cross like a common criminal and giving up his life. And so we see Jesus come to the garden, giving his disciples basically his last instructions that he will ever speak to them. And he comes to this place where he just basically prays to God. Praise to his father. And it's, it's incredible, though, that he can actually function in the manner that he, will, that he does, knowing what is just right around the corner. Now, I know in our lives, for the most part, we won't be hitting those kind of situations where we are so anxious about a cross. But I realize that, that in our lives... God has called us to different things. God has called us to different situations that are his will, that are looming out in front of us. Inside of us, it has caused great anxiety. For some of you sitting here this morning, there's something that's just on the horizon. 
something that you know you're going to have to face. The journey of life is taking you down this road and looming on the horizon is something out there that inside of your heart, inside of your stomach is causing tension. It's causing anxiety. You know it's, le- it's out there. It's just a matter of time before it hits. I'm so amazed at the way Jesus handles this. Because we're going to start at kind of the way Jesus ends in the garden and kind of work our way backwards because the way Jesus ends in the garden is just fascinating. Realizing what is about to take place, realizing the person who he trusted is going to betray him and throw him into the hands of people who are going to eventually murder him. The way Jesus approaches this is just amazing. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 46, these are the words that Jesus says as he is about to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. He says this. He says to his disciples, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This doesn't look like Jesus is saying like, okay guys, let's just get this over with because it's killing me. What I see here is Jesus getting up in a sense of confidence, going straight for that which has caused him so much anxiety. And he's going forward and following God's will in a way that is marked with a confidence that is just amazing. Now for me, I would love to be able to be a person who would follow after God's will, whatever it was, whatever circumstances was was out there whether it was a decision to be made or something that God has called me to go through, a circumstance that I know has to be resolved, I think all of us would love to be men and women who went after God's will with this kind of attitude, where we said to ourselves or those around us, rise, let us go, let us face our betrayer. Let us go from here in confidence, realizing what is looming ahead, but we have such trust and such belief in our Father that we are willing to go through it in confidence. It just amazes me the way Jesus has gone out from the garden, gone towards the cross with this amount of confidence, something that I think we all desire and we all long for. But how did he get to this point? How did he get to the point of confidence being something that we desire to face life? How did he get to that point? How do we get to the point where we in our lives can face our lives with this desire, with this confidence that allows us to go after God's will? Well, to back up a little bit and to start the story, we see Jesus a little bit more like we are. He has characteristics that are a little bit more like we can relate with. So if you kind of back up a little bit and start at the beginning of this passage in verse 36 through 38, you read this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful. And troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
You see, these words that describe Jesus are probably a little bit more in our league because we understand this a little bit more when there's anxiety out there, when there's something that's looming, when our own cross is laying out there just waiting for us. We can understand what sorrow is. We understand what it means to be troubled. We understand what it means to be overwhelmed, even to death. I mean, we can relate with that. I know for me, when things happen, when I know there's a decision to be made, or there's a circumstance that I'm heading straight on for, I know what it's like to be filled with sorrow, to be filled with sadness, to be so overwhelmed to where you feel as though everything inside of you is becoming tense. But there's a, there's a break here. There's something that changes. Because for me, a lot of times, I, I tend to stay in that path. I tend to allow the sorrow and the anxiousness and the feeling of, overwhelm, of being overwhelmed to become greater and greater. But somehow, Jesus took a different direction. And Jesus' direction led him to this thing of confidence. Where he could say, rise, let us go, let us face our betrayer. Let me face that which is looming. Now, what what is that trajectory change? What is it that, that gets us to the point where we are able to move along those lines? Well, it's no real secret. I mean, it's what Jesus did when he went to the garden. He went there to pray. You see, our greatest asset that we have in these times of anxiousness is simply prayer. Prayer is our greatest asset that we have. Now, prayer for us is very common. I mean, uh, you could, this could be your first time in church in your life. You could be 60 years old. And this could be your first time. And you've heard of prayer, I'm sure. Prayer is just common. We, we all know what prayer is. Or I should say we've all been familiar with the idea of prayer. But when Jesus came to the garden, I mean, why was he praying? What was his goal in praying? Did he come to Jesus with some prayer requests and say, Jesus, or God, I just want to bring these requests before you and just hopefully we can work this out? The prayer that Jesus prayed was a little bit deeper. It's a little bit more intense than simply repeating things or, or just trying to sound eloquent. Jesus coming to his father and just opening up his troubledness his sorrow, his feeling of being overwhelmed. And he comes and he brings it before the Father. And he just enters into this time of communion with the Father, trying to understand, trying to get in line with what the Father's will for him was. And in simple terms, that's what prayer is. Prayer is us aligning ourselves with God's will. It's us coming before God, trying to understand, wrestling with who he is, trying to understand more and more about God's will, God's direction for our lives. And the more we come before God, the more we spend time in prayer, the more that becomes a reality for us, the clearness of God's direction, where he wants us to go. And for Jesus, the clarity of this direction led him to the cross. Whether he liked it or not, this was God's will for him. God's will for Jesus Christ was that he was to lay down his life and die a substitutionary death for me and for you. And so Jesus comes with this idea of praying, praying. 
to align himself with the Father. Now, this again, it's, it's something that we, we kind of understand, but for me, I've always, it, it always kind of, I, I still couldn't quite grab it. Because prayer for me, a lot of times, is God help me. God rescue me. God get me out of this. But Jesus was a little bit different. Because as you go on, you read a little bit more about the purpose, the direct purpose of his prayer. If you go on in chapter 26, look at with me in uh, verse 39 um, through the end here. Jesus continues after he says, keep watch and pray with me. He says, verse 39, going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watching with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found again, found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Jesus says to his disciples, stay and pray with me. His disciples went this different direction. They didn't pray. They fell asleep. In my estimation, a lot of it had to do with just the overwhelmingness of the situation that was at hand. A little bit of avoidance, trying to just do what we do. If we can avoid it somehow, if we can just kind of forget about it, we'll take a nap, we'll turn the television on, and just try to stay in our own little world so we don't really have to deal with the reality of the situation about what's looming ahead. But Jesus says, why don't you pray with me? And three times he comes to them and says, stay awake, pray with me. And they fall asleep each time. Specifically, when he comes to that, he says, here's why you need to pray. This is the reason why prayer is so important. He says it in verse number 41. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, this again is weird for me. That Jesus, as he's praying in the garden, when he's, his life is about to be taken from him, he says to his disciples, his last instructions on prayer, he says to them, I want you to pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, when I think of temptation, I think of a totally different world than what Jesus is dealing with here. In my estimation, Jesus, my humanist, would say, disciples, you need to pray for protection. You should be praying that God will sustain us. Uh, You should pray for calmness, for comfort, all of these things. And yet Jesus says, no, what I want you to do is I want you to pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, when I think of temptation, I think of these things that God is trying, that we're trying to abstain from. Oh, it's so tempting. God help me not to eat that last piece of cake. I mean, that's the kind of temptation I'm thinking about. To help me, God, abstain from that which is calling me into something. 
I mean, what is this temptation he's talking about? And why is this the centerpiece of this prayer that Jesus is trying to get the disciples engaged in? Let's, let's just dig this a little deeper. When Jesus came to, to this, this time in his life, in this, this very situation, Jesus came with the attitude or the approach that was not about trying to be rescued from God's will. In other words, when he came to this time of prayer, this was not about Jesus coming to the Father and trying to decide whether or not he was going to submit to God's will. This was already set for Jesus. Jesus already had that question answered. He was going to the Father with a submissive heart regardless of what the will of the Father was. When he came to this time of prayer, his approach was, Father, if there's any way possible, I would love not to drink this cup. But if it is your will, I will do it. His approach was not, Father, find some other way to do this because I'm not really into drinking this cup right now. Maybe we could find some other way to do it. His approach was, God, I want to understand clearly. I want to understand very distinctly what this will is that you have for my life. You see, it's not coming to God and saying, God, rescue me from your will. No, it's a submission to say, regardless of what this is, I am going to do it. You see, no matter what he said, he always ended with this approach, regardless of how he said it. Whatever your will is, whatever your will is, whatever your will is. And for Jesus, the submission came down to the point where he accepted the fact that God's will for the redemption of the world was through the cross. So he understood that, he accepted it, he was able to get up and move forward. The disciples, on the other hand, had a different approach. Their approach led them to sleep. They did not spend time in prayer. They did not spend time trying to ascertain or understand the will of the Father. They fell into this temptation. Now again, what is the temptation? Well, this temptation is amazing because the more you understand it, the more you realize just how common and how powerful this temptation is. It is a temptation that I've fallen into. I believe it's a temptation that the majority of us have fallen into. It's a temptation that can destroy our spiritual journeys. It's a temptation that will short-circuit our spiritual development. It is something so powerful that it can literally take away from us the development of our spiritual growth, of our being coming closer and closer to who God is and the way God has wanted, wants us to be. This temptation has developed in the d- dismissal of relationships. This temptation has caused people to leave churches. This temptation is so powerful and so subtle and so common. Because the temptation for the disciples was that they did not understand and were not coming out of submissiveness of God's will. That they were coming into this situation, looking at the world, looking at circumstances, 
looking at what was about to take place. They were looking at it through their own lens, their own perception of life, and they were interpreting everything that happened out of their own agenda and the way that they thought things should roll out. You see, they believed in Jesus. They believed what Jesus wanted to do. They were willing to come by him. They were willing to have him set up his kingdom here on earth. They believed in who he was. But what they didn't submit to in the, was in the way that that kingdom was to be set up here on earth. If you back up a little bit, when Jesus first hinted about this idea that the cross was looming in the distance, and he said to Peter, he said, listen, I'm going to have to lay down my life. Peter rebuked Jesus for saying that. Because what he was basically saying is, yeah, we're all, we're all willing for the kingdom to be set up, but the manner in which this is going to happen, we're going to hold on to that. You don't say that kind of stuff. Right after this situation, Jesus has accepted the fact that the cross is God's will. The cross is the only way. When the betrayer comes, when they come to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? Peter grabs out his sword and cuts the ear off of one of the guards. Because Peter did not spend time submitting and understanding what the will of the Father was. So Jesus picks up the ear and heals. You see, the the disciples were all in for the kingdom. We want the kingdom. We want the result. We want to live in the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up here on earth. However, we don't want to submit to the way in which God is going to usher in that kingdom. We have our own agenda. We have our own way. We have our own approach to bringing this kingdom here on earth. Meanwhile, Jesus is spending time understanding and submitting to the will of the Father while the disciples sleep, while the disciples distract themselves, while the disciples get their mind off the situation. And what we have is a divergence here where Jesus then goes down the path where it is instilling confidence in him because he now understands the clear will of the Father and he submits himself to it. The disciples, on the other hand, all they know is the way of the sword. So they are willing to fight, but they have not accepted. This temptation is so powerful to look at the world, to look at life, to look at our own circumstances through our own agendas. We don't spend time understanding and ascertaining the will of the Father. We spend time sleeping. And then when it comes to where push comes to shove, the circumstances is looming. We want to get out the sword. We want to fight our way through it. We want to come to God and we want to say, God, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. And God is possibly saying, your growth is through this, not around it. I have seen so many people whose lives, whose spiritual growth has been short-circuited or stunted because they have not ascertained God's will for their life and they have not submitted to the point where they realize that this is God's plan. This is what God wants to lead you through. 
Instead, they want to get out the sword and they're going to fight their way through it. Because their agenda, the agenda in life is that God will provide his kingdom, but he will provide his kingdom within me through comfort, not through the cross. And this was the temptation. And I have seen it over and over and over again where people refuse to do what Jesus did, refuse to accept the greatest asset, which is prayer, and they fall so quickly into the temptation where, yeah, we want the end result. We have nothing against Jesus, but I do not want to go through this direction. And meanwhile, God is saying, this is the direction that's going to get you where you need to be. I've seen relationships break. I've seen church relationships break. And God is just saying, listen, this is, this is my will for you. This is what you were called to do. And so here is Jesus. Here is Jesus coming to this garden, spending this time in prayer to where he understood God's will and he submitted to God's will. Some of you are in your own gardens right now. Some of you have something looming out there. It may not be death, but in your mind, it is so heavy that it is stealing life away from you. You're starting out. You're still where Jesus started out. You've got sorrow. You've got sadness. And you are overwhelmed to what feels like the point of death. My question is, where are you going to go with it? Where are you going to go? What path are you going to take? Humanistically, the temptation is so easy to sleep. It is so easy to try and sleep it away, try to distract ourselves from it, try to get to a point where we just don't have to deal with it, and when the time comes, we'll just take out our sword and we'll get it one way or another. That is such a strong temptation. But then there's Jesus who says, watch and pray so you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your spirit, I believe, is willing. You want to grow. You want to follow God. You want to be in his will. But the flesh is so weak. And the only thing that strengthens is realizing that it is God who sustains us. You see, Jesus didn't come to the point where he was resisting. He came to the garden to accept. But you know, the, the beauty of, of, of this, the beauty of this story is that this is just the, the, the manner in which God led Jesus to that which we all desire and we all long for, which is victory. You see, regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of what is looming ahead, regardless of what waits for you 12 hours or 12 months from here or 12 years from now, I'll guarantee you one thing. At some point, that which is holding you down, that which is causing such anxiety, 
That which is robbing and snuffing out the very essence of your life right now. That which is causing you to to just be crushed under this pressure. I can guarantee you at one point, some way or another, God will provide for you a victory. And the way I can say that is that Jesus Christ who went through this, the most horrible, wretched event that we could ever imagine, where he was tortured, he was killed, he took mankind's sin upon him. He willingly accepted God's will. God sustained him and brought him through to the ultimate victory. I'm not promising you life will be easy. I'm not promising you that you may not even see this victory here in this earthly life. But what I am saying is that at some point, at some point, God is going to remove all of that which causes you such grief, such anguish, such pain, and such sorrow. And what I'm encouraging you to do right now is to follow Jesus' example and understand what the will of the Father is and bask and enjoy in his protection and his ultimate victory. Jesus got to this point. He was able to say to his disciples, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's my prayer for all of us that whatever is looming out there, that we can get to the point because we realize this is God's will for us. This is the Father's will for us. The God who sustains us. The God who protects us. The God who brings us through situations that we could not do it in our own human flesh. The God who loves us. The God who brought Jesus Christ back from the grave. The God who overcame death itself. This is the God who is sending us through this. He will sustain us. He will at some point rescue us. And my prayer is that all of us can stand there, stand in front of our betrayer, stand in front of that which seeks out to destroy us and say, rise, let us go. Here comes our betrayer.